Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, featuring fresh and lively commentary on all things Primal, including Q&A sessions with Primal Blueprint founder, Mark Sisson, special guest interviews hosted by Mark Sisson, and conversations with Primal Blueprint authors and other health and fitness experts. The show is presented by Damage Control, Master Formula, the world's most potent multivitamin, mineral, antioxidant, anti-aging supplement. Available at primalblueprint.com. Past episodes are available for download or to review written summaries at blog.primalblueprint.com. And now, here's your host, Brad Kearns. Hi, listeners. Welcome to another show. This is an exciting, high-tech show where we get into the science of genetic testing with Andrew Steele from DNAfit.com. I'm your host, Brad Kearns, and I was so excited to catch up with this guy. He's an Olympic athlete based in London, England, where DNA Fit is, and he competes in the 400 meters for, for Great Britain. He actually is one of the fastest guys in the world with a best time of 44.96, where he took a semifinal position at the Beijing Olympic Games. And he has a really interesting story, which we get into in the podcast, but I want to mention a little bit more about Andrew Steele. And also his associate, Craig Pickering at DNA Fit, is another Olympic athlete for the United Kingdom. And he, one of the few athletes in the entire world in history, competes in both the Summer Games as a 100-meter sprinter, as well as the Winter Games for Great Britain, doing the bobsled. So these guys are the real deal. They're elite level athletes, and they're involved with this cutting-edge science of genetic DNA testing to identify your DNA genetic particulars uh, as related to things like athletic performance, your ratio of power to endurance that's in your genes, as well as all kinds of dietary sensitivities, such as your sensitivity to carbohydrates, fat, caffeine, vitamin D, uh, very interesting stuff. And keep in mind that this DNA testing is, unlike blood testing, this is what's in your hard wiring. So this stuff doesn't change. You don't have to go test it again in six months after you've been working out. It's just showing what your makeup is as compared to a blood test where it might show you how well you're honoring your genetic background and your predispositions to this or that. And that's what makes this so exciting and I think essential, not only for anyone who's a competitive athlete like Andrew and Craig, but anyone who wants to have the optimal training regimen, optimal diet, optimal daily lifestyle patterns honoring what their genes uh, reflect. And the interesting thing about these guys, they kind of hit up Mark, like cold called him out of the blue and said, hey, Mark, do you want to test your DNA? And Mark said, sure, I'm a primal guy. I like to know what's going on with my genes. And he got some incredibly revealing information that uh, in some cases confirmed his suspicions of you know, what worked best for him through trial and error. But this is going beyond trial and error and giving you an actual snapshot of, hey, here's what you're all about. And one of the interesting things in Mark's case, and he's working on a post with more detail here, was he got a revealing score of uh, 57% endurance to 43% strength as, as far as his muscular composition. And this is amazing because for a marathon runner, um, that's kind of uh, more, more strength-oriented than you might think. And as Mark relates with many of his... Uh, writings and, and postings, he struggled as a marathoner to keep up with that high mileage regimen. 
um, the same a similar story for Andrew Steele, who after performing that awesome world-class performance of 4496 in Beijing, he decided with four years coming to get ready for his home Olympic Games in London that he would dramatically modify his training to try to pick up that elusive half second that would take him from an Olympic semifinalist to a guy standing on the medal stand listening to his own national anthem at home in London. So it was a big deal, and he increased his explosive speed training, which was generally thought to be his weakness, where he was more of an endurance-oriented 400-meter guy, even though it's a sprint. And what happened was he totally blew up. He was overwhelmed by the alteration of his training. Um, He got sick for a long time with mono, or the British call it glandular fever, and he blew out his Achilles tendons. And then that's how he found these guys at DNA Fit. They said, hey, let's see what you got going. And he tested and revealed that he was shockingly high on the endurance component for a 400-meter sprinter. He still performed well in that event, but he needed to go with his strengths and emphasize endurance in his training and had very little aptitude to handle excessive speed and explosive training. And it might be totally the opposite for the guy competing against him in the next lane, who was a high sprint, uh, a high strength uh, ratio and would have to honor that genetic makeup. So I believe what this does when you get your DNA tested is you combine that with regular blood testing and performance testing and seeing how you're doing at certain uh, blinks in time. And you can uh, take both those both that information together to really optimize what you're doing with diet, health, peak performance. And this is one of the great breakthroughs in competitive performance that we've seen in decades. So I strongly urge you to go check out dnafit.com. Get yourself tested. It's surprisingly inexpensive, as Andrew will relate. And also enjoy this podcast as well as Mark's post on the subject on marksdailyapple.com. Here we go with Andrew Steele, Olympic athlete from DNA Fit. Hi, listeners. It's your host, Brad Kearns, with another edition of the Primal Blueprint podcast today, a very exciting episode where we are going to talk cutting-edge technology with an Olympic athlete named Andrew Steele from DNA Fit. How are you, Andrew? I'm very well. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast from London, England. We're here in the uh, the morning in our West Coast studio, so we, we hooked up. We had about five false starts on Skype, but now we are grooving. And That's it. We're really rolling now. You guys uh, reached out to Mark Sisson and said, hey, how would you like to get your DNA test? Is that how we got our connection going? Yeah, effectively. Uh, one of our other um, our staff members is a guy called Craig Pickering, who's actually a fellow British Olympian. Um, and he was uh, a bit of a follower of, of Mark's, actually, and, and you know, reached out to him to say, this is what we're doing, and, and interested to see if he, would, uh, he fancied uh, having a go at it himself. So that's how we've reached this point so far. Well, the thing that caught my eye when uh, the, the report came back, all, all these incredible information and the people who are behind it. And so I'm talking to, right now to one of the great 400-meter runners on the planet with your amazing 44, <laughs> 44.94 in the 400 meters. You made the semifinals of the Beijing Olympics run the Great Britain 4x4 team who were battling in there for a medal, the British national champion. So... <laughs> 
you know, the legitimacy of, of the operation. <laughs> and then you go on your website and you look and see there's, there's PhDs all over the place in biochemistry and molecular genetics and nutrigenomics. So you've assembled a pretty awesome team. And we're going to get into in a moment uh, your own personal journey about how you found the company and the, um, the triumphs and setbacks in your athletic career that led you down this path. But why don't we first talk about what is this offering that you can get at DNA Fit and what did you do for Mark? Okay, great. So um, basically, it's very simple, actually. People get a little bit scared by the word genetics or DNA, you know, and it's about trying to uh, lower that barrier to entry to let people understand this is another source of information which they can take on board to help inform themselves over the best uh, training and the best nutrition. We, we focus purely on exercise and fitness and nutrition uh, genetics rather than anything sort of really big in terms of big health risks or anything along those lines. And the actual thing itself is just a simple swab test. It's a box that gets sent via the mail and you uh, take a little swab, looks like an earbud on the inside of your cheek and return it to us. And we do the analysis at the laboratory and uh, create a report for you. So we have a report on our, on our fitness genetics and then on a world called nutrigenetics, which is um, how our genes interact with our nutrition choices. Uh, so Mark shared the, uh, the report with us and some, some pretty amazing uh, conclusions or uh, information was shared. And the, the one that really stood out for me um, and for any listener that's into fitness or competitive athletics of any kind, is that you guys uh, gave him a, um, a pie chart indicating that his, his genetic makeup was 43% power strength and 57% endurance. Um, so the relevance there is tremendous. Tell, tell me about what that means for an athlete. Okay, great. So um, what this doesn't mean is really important too. So this does not tell someone what they can or can't do. It's um, no way is it a kind of talent identification or a reason to change somebody's goal. But what we do do is we report on um, a sort of whole swathe of genes, which are the most researched genes in relation to uh, response to power-based training or endurance-based training. So power activity, endurance activity. And from that, we put them through an algorithm which uses the weight of research behind them as markers um, and genetic ranking scores to create an end result. And what we do is we use that to tailor and tweak um, the training methodologies that someone uses, the fitness activities that they choose to reach their goal, whatever that goal may be. And I think it's really important that people understand there's no such thing as a good or bad profile here or a can or can't do. There's just extra information to help you tweak it. So in someone like Mark's case, Mark is around, um, he's what I'd call kind of more or less a full mix. You know, he, he's, he's got a little bit of a bias towards the endurance potential. So we look at the versions of the key genes, which an individual has, and what the research says about that gene's activity or that gene's association. And from that, we're able to guide someone, just guide. It's not the be-all and end-all, but it's an important parameter to take on board when choosing the type of you know, training you do. It might be looking at the rep and set structure that you do in the gym, or it might be how you break down your cardio work from high intensity to low intensity or vice versa. So we use it to individualize because um, it's a, you know it can be a very confusing world for someone who's trying to just get fit or get healthy, eat better, do some more activity. You read like the media every week, it's a different like fad diet or it's a different workout craze and it's very, very confusing. So we're just trying to help use genetics to identify the right path for an individual 
from the start rather than waiting till they try uh, error, get it wrong, try again, get it wrong, try until you find the right thing by a trial and error process. We're just trying to help identify from the very start. So let's think of Mark. Um, Mark's what we'd call sort of a mix with endurance bias. Uh, so that means he has a, has a few more key gene results which are associated with a response to endurance type activities as opposed to power. Um, but he does have one very key um, like power gene, as it were. That, that's a very simple phrase to use. But uh, there's a gene called the ACE gene, the angiotensin converting enzyme is its long name. Um, and depending on the version of that you have, it, it can either be associated with uh, a better response to power or a better response to endurance or half and half. And in Mark's case, he's got the full, big power version of the ACE gene. Um, and that's called the DD genotype. So he's got ACE DD. And that's a version which has been shown um, again and again to be very, very um, well supported in terms of power production. It's got good muscle growth expected from weight training and strength sports. It's got good muscle recovery. And um, it, you know, it basically it increases in conjunction with a few other uh, genes. It's one of the most researched genes in relation to sport and performance. Yeah, it was, it was a bit of an eye opener. I, I talked through this with Mark because, as many listeners know, his his serious athletic background when he was elite level was marathon running and Ironman triathlon, which is extreme, extreme endurance. But he comes up with a score that mm -hmm. suggests uh, aptitude for power and strength. And and today, uh, you know, long past his elite athletic career. He's been achieving great performances in the gym, especially for his age and, and in an explosive sport like Ultimate Frisbee. So um, perhaps uh, yeah. if, he, if he had to do it over, maybe maybe um, <laughs> Marathon and Ironman were not exactly identical to his genetic profile. No, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do that. So that's the point: is that there's there's no sort of right or wrong profile for a, for a given event, just how you would train. So um, what we'd do is, if if Mark was saying, "Okay, look, I want to run an Ironman. Um, I, I've got an Ironman coming up. I want to do the very best training possible for me," uh, we just wouldn't neglect the fact that he's got a pretty important gene result in terms of power response there too. So the traditional training program for a very long endurance sport involves basically very long endurance. That, that's how you train for a very long endurance race. You go for an extremely long bike ride, extremely long swim, extremely long run again and again until you can hit those distances. Now, what we might say there is, look, there's a couple of genes here which you've got, and only a couple. You've still got the majority of endurance, but there's a couple of genes we want to take advantage of here. So we're going to look at some strength exercises or some strength work in order to increase your endurance performance um, rather than just do the pure endurance side of things because we don't want to neglect like a whole part of your genetic makeup. Oh, that's great, Andrew. I appreciate you clarifying that. And it, it reminds me of um, David Epstein's book, The Sports Gene, which has got a lot of attention on, uh, you know, the, the details of genetic science and sport. And one of the conclusions he makes is that it's not all it's not all in the genes. There's environmental things, there's training, and there's passion and desire. And the chosen sport or activity for the athlete has a lot to do with their personal preference and also their success or failure. Um, yeah. as they compete. And so uh, let me ask you a question. Like In your case or in Craig's case, you guys are extremely high-end performers in very short-duration events. So how did your profiles come out and how did that affect your training? 
Well, I mean, I'll tell you what I'll do is I'll tell the listeners a little bit of my story. I don't want to bore people with uh, a full recount of my life, <laughs> but effectively, um, the reason I came to be involved with um, genetic testing in, in fitness and nutrition and sport is actually from a personal experience and it, it gives it some context. So um, I'm a 400 meter runner in, for those that really don't know their track and field, that's one lap of the track. It's officially a sprint. Now it's a long sprint, but it is officially a sprint. So um, I'm at an elite level. And as, as you uh, mentioned, I'm very impressed by your statistical knowledge there, Brad. But uh, I, reached the, um, I reached the semi-final uh, of the Beijing Olympic Games in 2008 and made a breakthrough in terms of time there, running under 45 seconds for the first time in my career. And, um, and we came fourth in the relay, just a fraction of a second outside of a medal and um, you know, arguably was sort of one of the most unlucky um, times to finish fourth in history because we ran so fast it would have got a silver in every other Olympic Games in history but either way um, my journey to my first Olympic Games to Beijing 2008 was one that was almost somewhat of an unorthodox training method back then I used to train more like a middle distance athlete more like an endurance athlete I used to you know run a certain minimum threshold of mileage per week, measure my resting heart rate, do a lot of the things which is associated with an 800 or 1500 meter runner and kind of considered the wrong way for 400 meter running. Now, I did that and evidently it was relatively effective for me. I reached the Olympic Games and ran 44 seconds. So that wasn't so bad. However, when Beijing finished, we were faced with a decision. We have four years before the London 2012 Olympic Games. We have the home Olympic Games, the biggest thing that any athlete could ever wish for. Home Olympic Games at a time when I'm going to read my physical peak age. So we had to decide, how do we get you from 44.9 and semi-final to 44.4 and a medal in the final? So we needed around half a second, maybe 0.6 of a second. We need half a second over four years. Um, and... We had to decide, do we, to get that, do we stay the same or do we change? How do we make you half a second faster? And it was obvious watching me run back then that my weakness was my short speed, my acceleration from the blocks, my zero to 50 meters was much, much weaker than my competitors. However, I canceled it out with being much, much stronger than my competitors in the last 50 meters of the race because I did all this endurance training, of course. So we said, look... You can get half a second by just getting as good as the other guys at the first bit of the race. So we decided that's how we needed to go, uh, and that's more the that's the more normal way for uh, for four hundred meter runners. That's kind of how how it's generally done at the top level with sprint training with some endurance as opposed to endurance training with some sprint, which is what I used to do. Mm -hmm. So we made a change. Um, and you work in four year cycles, of course. So we said four years. This is what we're going to do, and. Uh, we did that and we went ahead and we, we did some great work. A um, couple of other things happened over the four years before London 2012. I had a partial rupture of my Achilles tendon um, and actually had mononucleosis or we call it glandular fever here in the UK, but mono basically for about 18 months, which didn't help. Um, but effectively what happened over four years was I didn't improve and I actually went a little bit backwards. I, I went from running 44.9 to running about 45.9, 45.8 at my best. And so on the day of selection for London 2012, um, I missed out. And it was obviously quite a disappointing, more than disappointing, that's an understatement, but I missed out on the home Olympic Games and something I've been working for for seven years. And it was a very painful experience. So after the dust had settled, 
um, I was trying to reassess and say, what, what happened there? Why did I get slower? <laughs> why, why did things go so wrong? And also, what am I going to do now to fix that? How am I going to make sure I'm back to the, my best by 2016, by the Rio Olympic Games? Um, and I came to the conclusion that, you know, that old-fashioned way of training for me, the endurance with some sprint training as opposed to sprint with endurance, was more effective for me. I thought, you know, over those four years that I did the power development, I didn't really get that much better on my power side, but I, I almost lost my individual calling card, which was my very, very good endurance uh, at the end of the race. So I decided, you know, I'm going back. I'm going back to the old school, back to the way I used to run. And um, and I made that decision and put, put things in place to do that. And uh, shortly afterwards, I was actually on, um, on a training camp out in, um, in Scottsdale in Arizona, actually. And I got sent a little swab in the post, a little DNA swab. And it wasn't even called DNA Fit at the time. And I, I said, okay, yeah, let's, let's have a look at this. Let's do it. And um, when I got the results, I was so impressed with how it sort of showed me in black and white what I've been forced to learn through painful and quite costly trial and error over those four years that I actually had a majority of endurance genetics, um, more than Mark, Actually, and um, and uh, and I had some key power genes too, of course. But I I did have a majority of these genes which respond to endurance training more. Um, I also had a couple of gene results which have a particularly high probability of Achilles tendon problems. <laughs> so I had this Achilles tendon rupture, and I was like, "Yep, that's me." Um, and then I had a slow recovery speed as well. And mononucleosis in sports is effectively an overtraining illness. So. Um, there was three big pieces of information there, which I just thought, look, if I had these four years prior, not wouldn't have changed everything, but it would have been an important influencer when I was making the decisions. And those that basically paid my bills were making the decisions on what was right for me too. So um, that was a really, really interesting eye-opener for me. And I effectively wrote an email back to the guy that sent me the test to saying, by the way, this is what I found out from my career. And this is what you showed me. Um, so well done. <laughs> you know, yeah. you, you've, 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 you've summed me up almost like that. And I wish I had this information earlier. Um, and then we kept in touch and before long, effectively we were, we had created DNA fit. Um, and so it, it's obvious for me, of course. And I, I want, I want your listeners to understand that it's, it is of course obvious how we can use this in professional sport. Um, you know, we look at this power endurance response, the VO2 max response, injury risk, recovery speed, a whole host of diet markers. But the real power almost to me, um, when we were first starting out, was like, how can this affect the everyday person that's trying to be more healthy, more fit, eat better, act, do more activity, basically just become a, a more healthy lifestyle. And then the really interesting part is that people's motivation is so fragile. So in my case, I could get it wrong over four years, reassess and make a change because that's my job. I'm a professional athlete. That's what I'm going to do. I'm not just going to stop. But in the everyday person, it's a very confusing world to get started on like health and fitness. What, what workout should I do? What's the best diet? We've been told low fat most of our lives, then Atkins, then paleo and five two there's all these different um, schools of thought and it can be very bewildering and the motivation is so fragile to even start let alone carry on that if you don't see results you're not going to go oh that didn't work let me try another way you're probably just going to stop <laughs> you know so um the the real thing was like can we increase the probability of success by helping people just 
get more information to be better equipped, make better choices from the start rather than get it wrong. And uh, I think that's really where the power comes for you know, professional sports is pretty obvious, but in every way, everyday fitness enthusiasts, people that want to get healthier, want to get better at their chosen sport or whatever, then this is where the real power comes to just point them in the right direction, not change everything because the environment is so important, their preference, their um, availability to train, what do they like doing, what don't they like doing, what do they eat, do they get too much stress after work or not. All those things are extremely important, but this is one extra parameter we can now add in to help guide you to the best choices. Right, and that parameter, it sounds like coaches and athletes are going to have to be doing some build-out in the in the years to come. For example, you have your report that you gave your swab in Arizona and came back with all this stuff, and then you put the pieces together from the previous seven years of uh, succeeding and failing. So mm. now when the next person down the street gets a report that has, let's say, a similar makeup to Andrew Steele and wants to do the 400 meters, right? you, you, you got to <laughs> put the goals together, the genetics, and then develop a an ideal training program. And it seems like, um, obviously, at the elite level, that's extremely intricate, complex, but other f- facets of that report talk about food sensitivities or different um, dietary preferences for the individual. Can you talk about some of those? Yeah, so we have this whole world of nutrigenomics or nutrigenetics. Um, and that effectively looks at the interaction between our genetics and our environment. And what can we control there? What can we change or not? And there's actually some key points to, to point out with this that um, – you know, genetics can be a bit of a, a sort of scary subject to some people. And it's really not about predeterminism. That's the that's the key. And before we include any genes in our report, we, we have this protocol that they have to pass before we um, actually report on them at all or analyze them even. So um, firstly, the, the genes that we look at have to have been shown in at least uh, three clinically reviewed, peer-reviewed, validated studies for their association with that particular marker. Uh, those studies have to have been on humans, of course, which is uh, seems silly to even point that out, but it's surprisingly not that common that, um, that studies are based just on humans. And then thirdly, there has to be an actionable lifestyle change to support or um, cancel out the expression of that gene's activity. So uh, there has to be something you can do about it, basically. So we don't report on anything that there's not a clear, easy to implement actionable lifestyle change to uh, support that gene's activity, basically. So on the nutrition side, um, we can look at like an individual's response to carbohydrates or refined carbohydrates in particular. Are they a high responder or a low responder? Do they get a bigger impact on their blood glucose and their insulin resistance from the same amount of carbohydrate as somebody with a lower uh, response to carbohydrate or same with fats. So we can look at, you know, are they good at turning dietary fat into blood fat? And if they are, then they may not need to, they may still need to be aware of their total fat consumption because at the moment it's pretty on trend to eat zero carb, very high fat. Um, And it's pretty on trend to do just HIIT training, just very high-intensity interval training. And the fact of the matter is, with all fitness and nutrition, as we all know, there's no real 
one size fits all approach. So we look at the carb response, fat response. We look at a whole host of micronutrient and vitamin needs. So you're raised on normal need for omega-3, for vitamin B, vitamin D, antioxidants. Um, and then even fascinating things such as you are fast or slow metabolizer of caffeine. And what does that say about if you drink loads and loads of caffeine or coffee every day, are you increasing your health risk or not based on your genetics? And there's lactose intolerance in there, predisposition to celiac disease, um, and even like a detoxification pathway process. So whether you're an efficient uh, detoxifier of potentially toxic compounds that we get through high temperature cooked meat and do you need to eat more broccoli than the next person because of a certain genes activity? So there's a real deep swathe of information we can look at on the nutrigenetic side just to help people make the best food choices for them. I wonder uh, if you get a lot of nodding heads when people get their report. In other words, a lot of this stuff we stumble on both with successes and failures. We stumble through life and, and figure out some things that work or, um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm so sensitive to caffeine that I, I don't feel like drinking much at all uh, in my sure. daily routine and so forth. And then you get your report and it, it confirms this and it confirms that. And I remember in Mark's report, it's had the same thing about that predisposition to tendon injuries, which mm. he has battled an assortment of over um, over the years. So he was okay, like, yep, yeah. that's me, just like <laughs> you. Yeah. yeah, well, that's it. What we find is the further down the health and fitness road someone is and – and almost the more analytical a brain type that person is, as a personality type, then for them it's about reconfirming or reframing choices which they may have stumbled upon or they may have instinctively thought with them but were confused as to whether that was right or not because they'd read a recent magazine that said this or said the other. So if you're very, very advanced and you've tried lots and lots of things and you've settled upon a way, it's very interesting then to tally up what matches. You know, do, do, do the genetics fit with what you've learned about yourself? And that's a really good motivator to help someone believe, right, you know, actually I'm on the right path. I'm sticking with that. But in those that are perhaps haven't really found the way yet, then it's, then it's particularly interesting to just see if we can point them in the correct direction from the start, just sort of help navigate this fog of what to choose, what to do. So, um, yeah, we get a lot of like, oh, yeah, that's me. Well, like, well done almost. Um, but then we also get a lot of people going, oh, interesting, right, I've never tried that. Um, but it becomes a strong motivator because it's so personal. It's so gen it's in your DNA. It's you. It's how you're built. So it becomes a very strong motivator in terms of adherence to a set choice of program or nutrition or whatever. So if you have, okay, I know I'm going to eat more broccoli now, not just because someone told me it's good for me, but actually it contains a certain enzyme which my gene doesn't create and other people's genes do. So I need broccoli more than the next person. And it makes it a better reason to adhere to something than actually just someone telling you in general, oh, this is good for you. Right, right. Now, with your database of subjects, do you find uh, a lot of confirmation? For example, people with excess body fat have that carbohydrate sensitivity or people who run uh, 100 meters for Great Britain in the Olympics have... Uh, a huge proportion of power versus endurance. Well, there's a couple of key sort of genes that you can make. Um, you can make some some correlations with uh, from our database of um, 
actual, you know, on the nutrition side or on the body fat side, um, there are some genes which are very well associated with propensity to becoming obese. Um, and, you know, we have those included in the panel. So, for example, there's a gene called the FTO gene. And um, that's sometimes talked about in the media as um, the fat gene or, <laughs> or the, the obesity gene. Now, it's really not as simple as that. Um, but the FTO gene is, is uh, basically it's a, it's a protein associated with fat mass and obesity in, in, in humans. And um, they, one study found that people um, with the A version of this gene, so you can, there's three possible versions you can have, AA, AT, or TT. And those with the AA version were almost 70% more likely to be obese in one study, which is fascinating, really. You know, so they, they, they're not entirely sure of why that is. Um, but one of the reasons they think is because the A version codes for um, the creation of ghrelin, which is a hunger hormone. So basically a less, less sated. They, they have a larger hunger response than those with the TT version. So you can look at really interesting individual things from the genes, but the important thing is that you don't really make any assumption of one single gene. You take all the genes into account, how they interact with each other and the weight of research behind each gene. And then you make an overall um, movement towards a certain thing. So if somebody is a very high responder to carbohydrates, then they know that they in particular need to be particularly aware of their total carbohydrate content as opposed to I often find that those with a very low response to carbohydrates, and this is just anecdotal from me talking customers through their reports, but those that report um, – sorry, those that whose reports say very low response to carbohydrates, i.e. they have the least response to them um, – they always seem to tell me that they have never really had a problem putting on weight. <laughs> so, and I'm, I'm very jealous of these guys. So um, that, that's really nowhere I was. I'm very high on the carbohydrate response. And I found that out very early in my career when I had to go down the almost pretty low carb, high fat uh, eating method, even though I was training six days a week, twice a day, you know. Um, and lament, I remember lamenting the fact actually in the Olympic village in Beijing 2008 in the athletes dining hall where there's 24 hours a day free food from all over the world including a free McDonald's <laughs> lest we forget um, that I was there eating a salad and my teammates were eating big bowls of pasta and you know uh, sandwiches and all this stuff and I was getting oh, I'm eating a salad here guys and I really don't like the fact that you can get away with the pasta and I can't but I just knew that and actually genetically I have a very high response to carbohydrates so it helps put my mind at rest as to why I should not <laughs> I should not be eating that much carbohydrate right and we talk so much in primal blueprint and the, the primal lifestyle about uh, your genetic predispositions um, but but not necessarily needing to uh, dictate your destiny. In other words, you can figure this out for yourself and then optimize your own personal circumstances by going for the salad instead of the chicken McNuggets like Usain Bolt did at the Olympics. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. It's about adding this into the picture with every other piece of information you would. Just as you would measure your heart rate or how heavy am I now or all those things, this is another measure. But the, the interesting thing and the almost reassuring thing about genetics is that the, the genes don't change, you know, so, um, but your lifestyle can. So you never need to like do a test every six weeks like blood tests or anything like those. You can just take a look at this, remember this, bear it in mind, and when you're making your decisions, you can use this as another string to your bow basically. 
so the report's a beautiful infographic with the charts and the uh, the different details about your food sensitivities and and recommendations. So when the person gets tested and they get this report, um, where do they go from there? What's what other resources are available for ongoing or like you said, they can just uh, keep these things in mind that they're most likely never going to change. So what they the the things that the the actual genes don't change, but how you use those completely changes. That's the point. So <laughs> so basically, uh, what we do is we we provide these reports, and um, within the there's the infographic, then we have the fitness report and the nutrition report, and within those we give um, as much information as we can about those genes and and what sort of action someone could take. Um, but here in the UK, we actually even have like a network of fitness professionals, personal trainers, nutritionists who are educated in using genetics um, for their speciality. And so we actually have almost like a network of local people in people's area here in the UK. And we've got a growing network in the US now as well. And that's, that's something we um, obviously still expanding on. So when somebody has taken this test, they can then, you know, come to their local um, DNA fit accredited trainer and say, oh, you know, I really want to make a specific program to me. Or people get in touch with us and say, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to do this. Um, currently, I do three sessions a week. And blah, blah, blah. is there anything you would change based on the genetics to help me get that extra edge? And that's what our support team here do. That's what our customer service team do uh, for people. So we're not going to we're not prescriptive. And uh, that's the important point. We're deliberately non-prescriptive. We don't say, right, here's exactly the meals you're going to eat. And here's exactly the exercise you're going to do, because all the other environmental factors, which we don't measure from genetics, play such an important role too. But we give try to arm people with the best education they can on what those genes mean and how best they could intervene or change or tweak what they currently do to use that. Uh, back to your story for a moment. It's 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 such an amazing thing to reflect on that you're you're sitting here looking at the future. You've you've had an incredible Olympic performance in Beijing. And you want to pull another half a second over the next four years, which doesn't seem like a lot. But we know when you're <laughs> under 45 seconds, it starts to be uh, quite, quite a daunting task. And this is so common with elite athletes. It, it comes to mind. I, I recently heard a podcast from uh, the two-time Hawaii Ironman champion Peter Reed. And he went off after his great victory, the, the champion of the world at the Ironman. And he won a, a narrow battle with American Tim DeBoom. He, he had a two-minute victory at the Ironman. And he decided that that wasn't a comfortable enough margin for him. And so he went off on a crazy training regimen and proceeded to uh, get into a serious overtraining pattern that cost him a couple of years of his career with an assortment of illnesses and, and wipeouts uh, similar yeah, wow. to what you report. So mm -hmm. in, in pursuing that half second... You radically modified your training that had taken you to, you know, the very, very top level in the world and went down with, with mono and the Achilles injury. Do you attribute those to the uh, increased emphasis on, on uh, explosive power training that you hadn't done previously? I wouldn't attribute the, um, the Achilles to that. I mean, it, it, there's probably a small link, but actually I had chronic problems with my Achilles all my career, you know, like from the very start. Um, so there's obviously there's always many other factors biomechanical as well um, and that you know the the mono is is something I wonder I always wonder you know the, was I just doing too much load overall or was that load too intense for me um, the way I was made uh, and you I'm 
I must I must stress that I did some really good training still, but I think just I stopped playing to my strengths rather than just uh, purely that the training was completely wrong. I just stopped playing to my I didn't instead of trying to be as good as those guys at naught to fifty, I should have just accepted that I won't be quite as good as them, but I will be a lot better than them from three fifty to four hundred, if that makes sense. So um I think I, I wouldn't attribute it, but the the margins of victory or failure are so fine. You know, we, we're talking, you know, half a second from me turning to a guy that's at the Olympics to winning a medal at the Olympics um, and over four years. So that's 0.15 of a second per year. You know, it seems like so little. That's just the time it takes to click your finger. Um, that anything that's just a slightly wrong emphasis or stop sort of using what I've got was just enough it took to take the edge off my ability basically and I did some really good work and some some really good training but I just stopped really doing the stuff which I was a high responder to which I was going to thrive off you know okay then you got your report and mm. you're still going you're going for 2016 that's so, right I'm very much still going and I'm, I'm very happy to report that obviously I made some made some good changes and um, so much so you will have if anyone looks at my performances, you'll see some 5,000-meter road races in there. <laughs> so it's uh, my endurance side of me, which is very unusual for a sprinter. But um, I've had a really – actually, 2014 season was my best season by far since Beijing. Um, so fingers crossed that leads me on the, the path to um, back to Beijing this year, in fact. There's a world championships in 2015 in the same stadium as the Beijing Olympic Games. So it'd be a great time for me to signal a return and then fingers crossed back to to well under 45 seconds uh, for in time for Rio 2016. Well, that's great news, and it, that is extremely unusual that a 400 guy is out there running 5K on the road. Is this just a <laughs> – I mean, there, there's no precedent for that as far as I know. Um, Not really, no. Yeah. yeah. I was actually quite good at it as well. <laughs> so I won, I won one, actually, one of the ones I did, which I really – I really felt out of place winning because the other guys <laughs> are slight, you know, and they're they're very light on their feet, and I'm this heavy, sweating, bearded uh, <laughs> runner just appearing, but somehow out sprinting them at the end, you know. So, uh, so no, it's it's been really. I just use that as basically uh, aerobic cardiovascular training, but I love the, I I love the prolonged period of discomfort because it reminds me very much of the feeling in the last hundred meters of a four hundred meters. <laughs> Amazing. Have you considered the 800, uh, considering this endurance uh, <laughs> genetic well, I talent did, yeah. you have? I, I, I always did sort of half consider the 800 during my career because I used to do cross-country running when I was a younger athlete. But really, really crucially, I never wanted to be an 800 runner. And um, and that's the really important thing. Just as David Epstein talks about in the sports gene, the desire, the, the choice, the preference is so much more important than anything else. That's why we would never change somebody's goal based on genetics alone. Uh, and that's really, really important. So for me, okay, I might, you know, I might say, look, you're a high responder to this. So the training you do would be fairly appropriate for 800 meter running too, but I'm not I'm not inspired by that event. I was inspired by the 400 and that's what really can lead you to to greatness really to the highest level is actually caring about performing in what you do. Yeah, and back to the the average person like you said that your company's focused on on serving them too and and the dietary uh 
reports and particulars that you get. Um, you might learn that if you're really sensitive to carbs and really sensitive to caffeine and happen to have those as centerpieces in your diet and happen to feel lousy as a consequence, um, it might be a good opportunity to uh, take a look at your habits, take a look at your life goals and make some modifications based on your genetics, even though in the short term it might feel like, oh, boy, I don't get to have my, my four cups of coffee every day. Yeah, that's it. You know, we're just trying to say, like, you might think this is trivial to you, but, you know, so many people don't feel right in their daily life. You know, they oh, I feel tired. I feel – and actually, you know, sometimes it could be a really simple change that you make and who knows, maybe part of your genetics is influencing something there and you can just change to almost play to your strengths in that respect too, away from the elite sport world. Okay, so we're going to go to DNA Fit, dnafit.com, correct? That's right, yep. And we can we can sign up to get our own personal test for was it two thousand dollars? No, no, far far less. Uh, gosh, no, we'd be we'd be doing very well if we managed to make people pay that much money. It's about four hundred dollars for the the top level, uh, but we have a entry level which is ninety nine pounds. So I guess that's around one hundred and fifty dollars. So um, so yeah, no, much. Much, much less than that, Brad. So, um, and that's what we do. We, 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 you know, order a kit. The kit will come to you by the mail. You take the swab at home and send it back to us in the mail. Um, and then we, we allow around about two weeks from when we receive the, uh, your sample for, for your results to be ready. And it's delivered to you online. So we have an online portal. You can come and get your results. And uh, you get PDF report too. And, of course, all our after-sales support as well uh, to help you understand your results. That is absolutely unbelievable. I mean, that was I was just making a wild guess. Like it's it's worth at least two thousand dollars to get. Oh, well, thanks. Maybe I'll I put mean, the price up after this. Hey, but, yeah. I mean, <laughs> look at your career. How much would have been worth to you for someone to to reveal that stuff before you learn the hard way? But what a yeah, great service. So I'm I'm oh, well, in, man. I'm all over it. That's why I've gained one customer from this. Hey, but yeah. Um, no, look. It's you know. It's it's it's. That's the that's the around four hundred dollars for the very top level, which is our full fitness profile, our full nutrition profile, uh, and some other little bits around that. Um, and the thing to remember is, you know, that you know somebody might sell you a, a panel of blood diagnostics or blood tests, but they can change based on your current activity. The 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 information you'll take away here will will won't will be static. Um, so you won't need to. We're not going to come to you in two months and say, "Oh, you need to buy another thing for another four hundred dollars." It just take it once, and you can use that for the rest of your life. So you know, although for some people it may not maybe um, some some money there, you just say, "Well, I see. I'm going to take this once, and that's going to really help me plan things from now on." Uh, very good, important distinction there. So the blood work, in contrast, and we've talked about this on on podcasts and in Mark's Daily Apple, that might be in, indicative of how well you're doing honoring your genes through daily life. So you're looking at your triglycerides and your different markers that you want to improve upon, uh, knowing that, let's say, for example, you're sensitive to carbs or you have an increased need for vitamin D, I noticed was also on the report. Mm -hmm. So a wonderful compliment for anyone who's interested in health. Get over to dnafit.com. And the website's great because it really does give the the initial visitor a great education on what you're doing, and it'll draw you right in there for the two thousand dollar. I mean, the ninety nine <laughs> ninety nine pounds to get in the door. That is so exciting. And Andrew Steele, I want to thank you for spending the time with us on the Primal Blueprint podcast. Wishing you great luck in your pursuit to get back into the uh, Olympic team for Great Britain. 
and uh, honoring your genes with the best training you possibly can. Thanks so much, Brad. Well, look, and, and for your listeners as well, if there's any other questions at all you have, just uh, find me on Twitter. I'm just Andrew Steele, all one word. Um, so send me any questions you need there, and I'll be happy to educate as many people as I can. Good stuff. That's Andrew Steele, S-T-E-E-L-E on Twitter and dnafit.com. Thank you, listeners, for listening to this great show. Have a great day. One last thing, folks. Andrew was gracious enough to give us a discount code to use over here at the Primal Blueprint. So when you go over to dnafit.com and purchase your Fitness Diet Pro kit, you can use the code PRIMALBLUEPRINT all caps, and it will give you a 30% discount. So the price goes from $399 to $279. Thanks, Andrew. Safeguard your health with the most comprehensive all-in-one nutritional supplement on the planet, Primal Nutrition's Damage Control Master Formula. Forget mixing and matching with multiple bottles of individual agents. Now you can just take a single packet of the most potent and optimally balanced multivitamin, multimineral, antioxidant formula available on the market. You'll enjoy complete immune system, cardiovascular, memory, nerve, bone, liver, and anti-stress support, and much more. With 51 research-proven ingredients, Damage Control Master Formula helps you combat oxidative damage in every cell and every system in your body and shore up any dietary shortcomings with complete protection. Order Damage Control Master Formula today at PrimalBlueprint.com and check out the incredible free shipping offer for our convenient and custom-designed auto-ship program.